If you have a financial question for Pager Bruce, keep in mind you can call this number 24-7-888-6 Advice. And you can also email those questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. But in the meantime, you can call or text our studio line, we hope you do during the show, 651 461 9226. Once again, here's Senior Vice President, Financial Advisor Peg Webb, and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Good morning. Good morning, Denny. Good morning, Bruce. Hello, Peg Webb. Thank you, Denny Long. Appreciate that introduction. Uh, Peg and Denny, uh, we're very fortunate to have with us today a guest. Uh, as frequent listeners to the show know, uh, periodically throughout the year, we like to kind of touch base look at markets, look at what happened, look at what we think is going to happen. And I emphasize we think is going to happen because nobody knows for sure in the short term and an opinion we might have today could change tomorrow based on something that happens around the globe. But we're fortunate to have with us today uh, Gary uh, Quinzel. Gary is the Director of uh, Portfolio Consulting at Wealth Enhancement Group. He's been in the financial services industry doing this money management, uh, analyzing markets for 20 years. Peg, Gary has the very impressive CFA, Chartered Financial Analyst designation. Um, I'm not smart enough to ever get that designation. I'm smart enough to know that I'm not smart enough to get that designation. So Gary's going to help us today uh, understand where we've been and where we think we are going. Gary, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Peg. Good morning. Nice to hear your voice. Actually, Gary also uh, writes our monthly investment commentary for Wealth Enhancement Group uh, clients, but then we actually share that on our website, wealthenhancement.com, and I'm always quick to tell people how to uh, go find things. So if you go to Insights and then you hit Blog, uh, the July 2023 uh, market commentary is there. But Gary, I would love today if we kind of give Wealth Enhancement Group's view of the world, you know, what's going on out there. Uh, What I can tell you, and Bruce, you probably would agree with me, is that generally I have to say my clients are happy, right? So when I'm doing these reviews every week, um, the double-digit percentages that uh, the growth the stock market's giving us, so I don't have any – you know, unhappy people right now. So give us kind of the view of the world. Thanks, Peg. And yeah, when the market is up around 20% through July, that does tend to make a lot of people happy. So if you you told me in January 1st that the S&P would be up this big, I probably would have not believed that because we think back just six, seven months ago, the world was really in in a much different place. And things have really changed. And we just think about what, what's changed over the last couple of months. I mean, we were talking recessions, high probability of recessions, tons of leading economic indicators are all pointing downward. And then we had that regional banking episode. And then we said, what could come next? I mean, there was a lot of uncertainty uh, in the middle of the first half. Uh, add on to that, we have this inflation saga that, Yes, inflation is coming down, but we're still considerably higher than the long-term average. But despite all that, the markets have rallied considerably. And a lot, a big part of that um, has been the excitement around generative 
artificial intelligence. And as ChatGPT and other stories arose, we started seeing the mega cap growth story really take over. So yes, I would agree with you. Most clients I talk to today are very happy uh, because we had a complete turnaround from some of the recessionary fears that dominated the headlines in 2022. And of course, the inflation story does continue to get better. And I think that's an important narrative that we want to think about. Yeah, and, and when I talk about your um, market update that you do, and, and thank you that uh, as an advisor, I certainly appreciate that. But normally you break it down into four main areas. Uh, one being the strong recovery in equities, which I think you'll do a little bit deeper dive. And is there still a probability of recession? Um, that strong labor market, I mean, we can't help but hear about that every day, how unemployment is really low. And then is and then lastly, is inflation still a big deal? I mean, are we worried about it? So would you mind, Gary, just taking them uh, one by one? Of course, yeah. So let's, let's start with equities. That, to me, is the most exciting and positive aspect. So if you think about how negative sentiment was coming out of 2022, we had historically high levels of negative sentiment. And that actually ushered in kind of a contrarian trade at the start of the year, right? And then at that point, as I mentioned a moment ago, the, the, the regional banking crisis was quite interesting, and it, it caused a lot of fear and uncertainty. But what it did do is actually it shifted the dynamics and it shifted the overall uh, style of investing back towards growth because artificial intelligence is and continues to be the story of the year when it comes to investing. And we've seen a significant shift and significant shift in positive sentiment now flowing towards these large cap stocks. And a big other element about it, of course, is the Fed, right? The Fed is, has continued to raise rates. And the, and the concern was that we couldn't live with higher rates, right? We, and, but, you know, higher rates are generally bad for bonds or bad for, for growth stocks or they're bad for equities in general. But nonetheless, we've learned to adjust to that. And the market is actually doing quite well in the face of higher rates. And as we've moved forward through the year, now we have less rate hikes expectations going forward, and I think that's being factored into the growth story as well, that, yes, we can live with higher rates. We've been here before. We're just not used to it, but it's all driven, uh, this, this excitement uh, around equities. And once again, it's really about the U.S., and I'll talk a little bit about international in a minute, but the U.S. large cap growth story continues to be what has been dominating the market. We've done some analysis, and we've, we've noticed what's called the Magnificent Seven, makes up for the vast majority of the returns of the S&P 500 year-to-date, something I've written about a few times this year. If you actually took away those large seven stocks, the rest of the market for most of the year was just barely flat. Now it's climbed, and we're actually seeing some more market breadth. What I mean by market breadth is more companies participating, not just those ultra mega cap stocks. We're seeing more breadth. We're seeing more participation across other staples and cyclicals. And, and small caps, and that's, and that's going to be a big part of this recovery, is can small caps uh, continue to catch up? And we're starting to see that, and that makes me more positive as, as we look forward. Um, there really doesn't seem to be a, a, a negative uh, catalyst in the winds right now. Obviously, anything can happen in, in the short run, as, as, as Bruce pointed out. There could be an, always a black swan or an event that's going to spook markets. But right now, what we call the pain trade seems to be higher. All the, all the momentum seems to be to the upside right now as the Fed seems to be 
slowing down in its, path, its rate hiking path. We do not have another uh, rate hike priced into the futures market right now. We're seeing headline inflation come all the way down to 3%. Core inflation is still closer to 5 but that's good for the markets. And as long we can live with that, and we can live with higher rates, this growth trade and, and equity trade can continue. Uh, and we think unless there is some sort of negative catalyst, that's going to be what's going to be driving the market. Couple on with that, we'll, we'll talk a little about recession. You know, we were talking high probability of recession for a good portion of 2022 and first quarter of 2023. And, and myself, we've even said our base case, uh, meaning all else equal, is that we will have a mild recession uh, at some point in the next 12 to 18 months. Well, the, the base case has actually softened considerably, and a big part of that is the labor market. So all of this fact, all of this factors together, uh, our macroeconomic outlook, the, 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 the momentum, and of course, just the valuations are, are, are higher than they were, but still not as high as they were in the 2020-2021 period. Gary, I, I know there's there's still a lot more to get to, but as I as you were uh, explaining that so well, a couple of questions occurred to me that might occur to listeners, and I know I'm, I hear from clients. Uh, the two things, really quickly, I'd like you to comment on. You mentioned that the Fed, you know, raised interest rates again this week. Um, I don't know that everybody saw that coming. I think a lot of people thought that they wouldn't raise rates again. There was even some speculation they might begin to lower rates which I don't see happening anytime soon, but you said that that's bad for bonds and stocks. Can you explain to listeners why the, the raising of interest rates like that can tend to be bad for their 401k plan at work? And then you also mentioned that seven stocks, the magnificent seven, drive the S&P. Why wouldn't an investor just go buy those seven stocks and not you know, buy 500 stocks or 1,000 stocks? Why, why wouldn't they just buy those magnificent seven? Yeah, both both great questions, Bruce. So I'll tackle the interest rates first. So we, we look at the Fed futures, the way that the, the bond traders price uh, the, the, the rates in, in the coming months. And so we can tell with a high level of certainty what the Fed is going to do as we get closer and closer to, to the actual announcement date. So from our perspective, a rate hike was pretty much all but certain. And if you look at the Fed futures going forward, right now they have no additional rate hikes priced for the rest of the year. Now, that could change, and it does change. But right now, it does appear that we might be at a plateau at, at that peak rate. Now, higher rates are generally bad for the markets because it increases the cost of business. It increases the cost of borrowing. And let's think about bonds first, and then we'll shift to stocks. So higher bond prices move inversely to interest rates. If you have a higher interest rate, that makes uh, an existing bond lower interest rate less compelling, and it drives the price down. So as we experienced in 2022, we saw a significant rise in interest rates, and that's why the Barclays Ag, that's the broad bond index, had its worst year in the the history of the Barclays Aggregate Index history, going all the way back to the 1970s. So higher interest rates are always going to make bonds price down. That's just the way the bond math works. If we flip it over onto the equity side, it's not always the same, but when you think about what a growth stock is, and I'll use this uh, analogy to shift into the Magnificent Seven, when you have these high-flying growth stocks, right, you're not buying them because they're attractively priced. That's a value stock, but a growth stock, what you're essentially doing is you're saying, I'm buying the stock for the dollars it's going to earn next year and the year after that and the year after that and the year after that and all those future cash flows are worth more money 
when you can discount them back to today's price at a lower interest rate. So something like a Tesla stock where you're really buying it for tomorrow's earnings and next decade's earnings is always going to be worth more in a lower interest rate environment. And what we had for the last decade and a half, that's one of the primary reasons that U.S. growth did so well. It's on top of the innovation and in the tech leadership, it was the mere fact that we had a low interest rate environment. The Fed was compelling people to buy stocks by making interest rates low. Well, interestingly, now we've shifted, even with higher rates, we've shifted back into that environment where growth stocks look that compelling. And it's interesting how the market has adjusted and adapted to this new higher interest rate uh, in, environment. Now, those seven mega cap stocks, uh, you know, Apple, Meta, Google, I'm sorry, Alphabet, Tesla, NVIDIA, you know, they have extraordinary returns uh, and they've been high flyers for some while, but why would you want to own something else? Well, obviously we believe in, in global diversification. You can own those stocks and you can certainly do well, but just by owning the S&P 500, you're going to have a large portion of that, those magnificent seven anyway. They, as I mentioned, they're going to dominate the overall returns and make up most of the returns, but you have to think a little broader if you want to participate and have smoother returns over the long run. There are so many other industries that, can, that, that are set to grow, and especially across the small cap spectrum, which we think is in a better position as we come out of this recovery from the business cycle perspective. So we always believe in global diversification. It's great to own those, those stocks, but we always believe in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a strategy that blends all market caps in all industries and especially blends uh, exposure to overseas because, yes, we've been in an extended period where the U.S. has outperformed international, but we've also been in a period where the U.S. dollar has done better against foreign currencies. And we think that we might be coming into a period where the dollar could see some weakness, and that's going to make international stocks more attractive. That was excellent. Yeah, that was excellent, Gary. Um, so how about this strong labor market? Uh, you know, everybody feared that um, that that was going to be, you know, how is that ever going to change? I mean, it, we had economic slowdown and is there just not enough workers for the jobs or what's going on? Yeah, great, great, great question. And so that has been one of the, you know, the, the you know, biggest conundrums, uh, you know, as they've gone through this tightening policy is, you know, is, is why, why isn't the, the unemployment rate um, ticking higher? And in fact, we have seen a slowdown uh, in the number of jobs created, but we're still a very healthy 200,000 plus per month. Uh, and we still have an unemployment rate, as you, as you mentioned, that, that's below 4%. So, you know, how can you have a recession with unemployment so low? And I think there's a lot of interesting elements that, that, that contribute to this. A shortage of, of workers is certainly part uh, of the situation. Uh, people shifting in, in jobs in different ways, the gig economies of, of such. And so you have the situation where, you know, we have slower job growth and that, that um, I'm sorry, we, we, we have strong job growth that has been slowing, but it's still, but it's healthier for, for the economy overall when you have just a slow, more sustainable uh, uh, job growth. And, you know, another really interesting area that we've been watching is construction. Uh, you know, construction, there's so many construction jobs being created, and a lot of that has to do with a lot of the infrastructure uh, uh, fiscal spending and need, need for new infrastructure and, and a major shorting on U.S. housing, which has actually helped boost the, 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 the housing market because we have low supply. So 
a surge in, in, in construction jobs certainly has supported the market. That's actually supported wage growth, and that's actually one of the contributors to state inflation. But, you know, we, we, we see the job market remaining strong, and that's probably one of the main reasons why, if we do have a recession, it, it, won't, it won't be that severe. It's going to be relatively shallow uh, and, and not that stressful. What about inflation? Sure. So it's always important to distinguish between core inflation and headline inflation. Headline inflation is the measure of inflation that captures everything, and it has food and energy prices baked into it. And most people in their day-to-day lives, that's what they live and breathe, and it's more important to them, and that's going to be more volatile. We've seen that go all the way from 9% down to 3%. A big portion of that is because of energy. The price of crude oil has come down substantially. And we continue to see that trickle lower, and we think that trend could continue. Now, the question is, can that get back to its long-term target uh, by the end of this year? And I'm not so sure. And if you always, another element that you have to remember is that the Fed cares much more about core inflation that strips out the food and energy prices. And the reason for that is because it's less volatile and it's more predictive of where inflation is going to be in the next 6, 12, 18 months. And that's what the Fed is going to base their policy on. So core inflation, which never got as high as headline inflation, is still considerably higher than, 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 than it's still in the 5% range. And that's because it doesn't have that energy component. And what it does have a, a higher percentage of is, is the housing element. And the price of housing is still remains to be very high. Uh, and, and the impact of higher wages that I talked about a minute ago from, from the job situation, that's also going to have a, a lag impact. So we continue to see inflation remaining above the long-term average, and that's, if anything, that's what's going to dictate you know, what the Fed does, and that, of course, that dictates uh, how the market interprets the Fed's action. So you know, we're very constructive on, on, on the development across inflation, and we think that you know, a little bit of inflation is healthy. It's certainly healthier than disinflation. Uh, and as we, you know, come back to the extreme levels that we experience, you know, we could be getting back to a more normal normal inflation situation, perhaps in 2024 and beyond. Uh, if, listeners, if you joined us late, where Peg and I are fortunate to have with us today, Gary Quinzel. Gary's the Director of Portfolio Consulting at Wealth Enhancement. And you can tell by listening, he obviously knows his stuff. Uh, Gary, we've just got a couple minutes left before we go to our first break, but one of the things I wanted to ask you, you know, when you you, you look at inflation, and that's why the Fed keeps raising the interest rate, and there's a lot of factors that come into play, but one of them is consumer spending. Consumers keep buying stuff. We came out of the pandemic. We came out of that shutdown when nobody could buy anything. Now people want to buy stuff. Well, Peg and I actually talked about it last week, but the Supreme Court striking down the Biden administration, the the forgiveness of the student loans, all that money was going into the economy. Those people were buying stuff, and now they have to shift back to paying their loans. Do you see that having an impact on inflation? And if so, any any, uh, uh, forecast as to how? It's a great observation, Bruce. I think it will have some impact, but I don't think it's going to be that detrimental. Uh, And if you just think about fiscal outlays overall um, since the pandemic. We are so far above trend in aggregate, the amount of money that the, the government has, has, has put forth in, through fiscal policy. And so we're way above trend 
student loan forgiveness is one element of that, but there's a lot more as well. So if we take that away, yes, it could have some impact, but it's going to take a long time for the rest of that, all the spending that the government to work its way through the system. It's the same thing as inter rising interest rates or, or cutting interest rates. It takes years for that to make its way. So because there's a much bigger pie out there in terms of the amount of money available, that's going to support more spending. And you're right. It's a great observation. Consumers have been extremely resilient, and a big part of that is because they're employed, right? So if we have a situation where unemployment remains low, I don't see the situation where the impact of the student loan forgiveness outweighs the fact that the market has been very healthy from a labor perspective. Denny, I know we're due for a break, but it's a great day for listeners to ask questions. We have a smart guest. And second half of the show, listeners, Gary will tell you exactly what's going to happen the rest <laughs> the rest of the year. I'm being facetious. <laughs> All right, very good. Let's take this break and call right now, 651-461-9226. Call or text 651-461-9226. You can also always send your emails to yourmoney at wealthenhancement.com. We'll be back on the other side with more of Your Money. If you have a financial question for Peg or Bruce or Gary, you can call this number 24-7-888-6-ADVICE. You can also email those questions to yourmoney at wealthenhancement.com. But we do urge you to call right now during our show. You can call or text our studio line right now, 651-461-9226. Once again, here's Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Thank you, Denny Long, and listeners, thanks for staying with us. Again, if you joined us late, we're very fortunate to have with us today Gary Quinzel. Uh, Gary is the Director of Portfolio Consulting at Wealth Enhancement. If you're a Wealth Enhancement client out there and you uh, see the market commentary that we provide every quarterly newsletter, Gary's the, the genius that writes that. He's, got, he's, been, he's been in this industry for uh, 20 years uh, he's a chartered financial analyst, certified financial planner, and if you were listening to the first half of the show, obviously a smart guy. Um, Gary and Peg, so the first half we most kind of talked about where we are, where, what happened, why it happened, and I think listeners always want to know, well, that's great, but what's going to happen? What should I do with my 401k plan and my IRA and my investments? What's, what's, what's coming up? And Gary, again... Uh, facetiously, as we went to break in the first half, I said, you'll tell everyone exactly what's going to happen. Obviously, facetiously, because nobody ever knows for sure, but based on your experience and your education, you're uh, constantly looking at these things. What, what do we think is going to happen, and what do we think, people, investors, uh, what do we think out there that they should be doing as we go into the second half of this year? Sure, Bruce. You know, our, our outlook has definitely improved uh, relative to where we were six months ago, as I talked about in the, in the first half. But I think the big, the number one thing that we need to focus on is the labor market. We spent some time talking about all the different impacts and how it's going to trickle down to everything else. And it's a big reason why the, the consumer has been so resilient. But it's all about the strength of the labor market that's going to determine what the Fed does. So we think that the labor market can continue to grow at a slower but steady rate that's more sustainable, that'll be good for the economy, 
that'll be good for the markets. It'll enable the Fed to actually engineer a soft landing, which is almost impossible to do, but it actually seems like there's a higher probability of pulling that off. So a soft landing is the definition of when the Fed can raise rates to stem inflation, but not push the economy into recession. And it actually seems that it's way more probable than it was six months ago. So what does that mean? Well, what's, what's been happening in the equity markets, as we talked about, a lot of excitement around growth, a lot of excitement around AI, a lot of momentum. We're starting to see the, the breadth, the, the broader participation of the market take hold. We think that would be positive, right? We could actually see even further positive returns for the rest of the year. But of course, there's always a catch, right? There's always a catch of what could actually go wrong, right? And we could always see uh, a, a shift in inflation readings, right? Something, a surprise to the upside that would make the Fed actually have to reverse back and start raising rates even higher. That would certainly be negative. Um, and so we're very, we're very cautious as we're looking at that. We don't think we're necessarily out of the woods yet. We also note that there's still a lot of other leading economic indicators that are quite negative right now. Things like inventories uh, uh, stocking up and, and tighter lending standards. You know, both the ISM Purchasing Managers Index as well as the Conference Board's leading survey are all really, really negative right now. And it'd be really interesting if we could actually get get to a point where we're not going to have a recession, just d- despite how uh, negative the indicators are. And let's not forget the yield curve, right? The yield curve for those who are not familiar, that's basically the difference in, in rates between short-term and long-term. And usually, when the yield curve gets very negative, as it is right now, rates are higher in the short run than they are in the long run. That, that is supposed to forecast a recession. Now, interestingly, what we've seen actually in the last couple of weeks, we've seen the, the yield on the 10-year uh, Treasury actually inch higher. And we think that's because the, the market is depricing the risk of a recession. So we're seeing higher rates going forward. And um, looking out, I, I think, you know, you, there's, there's great uh, value across the board, right? You want to have exposure to the growth, but you don't want to be all in. We talked about not just betting on the magnificent seven. You want to have broader exposure to value, momentum, other factors like high, high profitability and quality. And you also want to have exposure to smaller cap stocks. We think from a value perspective, that small caps are really attractive. So we like that, assuming that the, the odds of recession continue to decline. If we shift over to fixed income, well, fixed income has had it pretty tough lately. We started this year by saying, you know, fixed income was its most attractive relative to equities in a long, long time. And we still see that when we compare the yield versus the earnings yield on the S&P 500. That's the inverse of the price-to-earnings ratio. So we think bonds are attractive, but if, if rates start going higher like they have been, we're going to struggle to get, you know, even even mid-single-digit returns. So we don't think it's time to abandon bonds. We think bonds continue to be attractive. And, let, and let, let's face it, you can now get a nice return on fixed income without taking very much risk. So we want to balance your approach. But we think that there is good value across the spectrum. And as I, as I mentioned earlier in the first half, we also see a lot of opportunities in international, especially international developed. Japan is actually near, uh, all, nearing its all-time high. It's up over 25% this year. Uh, and if the dollar can, does continue to get a little bit weaker, that'll make international all the more attractive. Hey, Gary, <clears throat> hey Gary I've got a question. Um, every single one of my reviews, and you've mentioned this several times on the show, AI, what is it that everybody's so excited about with AI? Because 
my clients are a little apprehensive about this whole utilization coming with AI to the degree that they're talking about. Can you just comment on it so that listeners, I'm sure they're out there thinking AI too, what is it? Why is everybody so excited and how's that going to benefit us? Sure. Well, I mean, I think there's two ways to think about it, right? There's going to be the companies that are going to profit from actually creating the AI uh, programs and, and, and processes and sell more based on that. And then there's the productivity side of it. And I'm more, more excited in the long run on the productivity side of things. Because if you think about what generative AI can do, the, the program writing, the script writing, the thought analysis, you know, yes, it might de- uh, displace certain jobs, but it's going to massively increase productivity across all industries. And so when we think about it from that perspective, there's really, it just, it's going to, it's just going to increase core profitability. And so that's another reason why you could just, a way to bet on AI is simply just betting on the S&P 500, betting on the market in general. So I think you want to have exposure to those companies, the, the tech stocks that obviously are going to be, you know, creating more of the scripts. Uh, and Microsoft certainly has benefited uh, considerably uh, uh, with ChatGPT. But I think no matter what industry you're in, there's productivity increases that are going to be had. And I think we're in the very, very early stages of realizing just how massive uh, a shift we're going to see in productivity. And is that productivity okay? Because we don't have enough people for all the jobs anyway. I think so, yes. I mean, there, there's, going, there's going to be jobs that are displaced over time. And listen, there's, there's, there's jobs, even, even what we do as, as, as practitioners, there's certain things that, you know, can and will be done, you know, by machine. And that's okay um, because it'll also create new jobs as well and new opportunities. So I, I do think it's okay, and I think there's a lot more to learn. I don't think there's anything necessarily to be scared of, uh, but, you know, I think there's a lot more learning to be had and understanding uh, of the opportunities that it's going to create. I do like AI when my boxes, things that I order, are there in a day or two. You know what I mean? So we've already all witnessed AI in the productivity of of shopping and getting us these things. So um, any other opportunities? Uh, We do have um, a text, Bruce. Should we take that? Sure, Danny. uh, Should we get listeners involved? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, uh, we urge you to call right now. You can either call or text, whichever is easier, 651-461-9226. Again, 651-461-9226 for either a phone call or a uh, text message. Uh, texter wanted to uh, comment, in fact, had a comment uh, about uh, gas prices. They're saying gas prices are really surging again. Could this impact both the core and headline inflation and dampen stock market enthusiasm? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, higher gas prices is definitely going to have an impact. Uh, and, and that, you know, as, as one of the more, you know, higher costs uh, of, of businesses, that's going to certainly trickle through. Um, the overall cost of crude, of course, ha- has, has come down, but we're seeing, you know, a difference in differences in the gasoline market. So I do see, see that having an impact. And that's just another factor that we're going to continue to monitor to see, is that enough, right, to, to, to actually move the needle back higher, uh, overall, uh, I don't think so at this point. I think I think overall, when you think about the the, the major factors that that drove inflation, that the the, the the overall supply demand 
shock dynamics that have since been resolved or are in the pot process of fixing themselves, I think are stronger and more powerful. And that's why we've seen the trend lower. But yeah, it's not going to be a straight line lower. We're not, I don't see, I don't see either core or headline inflation going directly to two. We're going to have some ups and downs. And I think that's a great observation. I think gasoline prices definitely has an impact on consumers as well as businesses. Gary, one of the things that uh, I've been talking to clients about, um, and, and you know, they proactively ask me and it comes up at meetings, you said in the first half of the show, you talked about how the Fed raising interest rates can be bad for investors in terms of uh, greater cost of doing business, greater cost of uh, the use of money, and so forth. But that's always a two-edged sword because, on the other hand, our clients, if they're retirees or close to retirement, we always coach them to have a certain amount of safe money, a certain amount of cash. And now all of a sudden, you know, we can make 5% interest on liquid money with no market risk. And, you know, that's, that's good for our clients. So I always say it's a two-edged sword. It's these, these higher interest rates are good for savers, bad for companies, bad for borrowers, bad for buying a car, buying a home. But a lot of our clients aren't borrowing money anymore. They're putting a certain amount of money in the, uh, in the cash. And it's great to get your monthly statement actually be making some interest after years of a fraction of 1% and you made almost nothing. I, I completely agree, Bruce. I think you nailed it. I mean, so the, the, the answer is, you know, where is that Goldilocks moment, right? that Goldilocks level, where at the cost of money isn't so high that is going to be prohibitive of, of, of business growth, yet at the same time can provide an adequate level of income in coupons to those that save. And it's interesting because for such a long time prior to the global financial crisis, you know, 5% interest rates were quite normal. We lived with that and, and did quite well for a long time. And then we got used to this zero interest rate policy for the last 13, 15 years. Uh, and, and, we, and it took an adjustment and that's what propelled everyone into buying stocks. The Fed basically drove money into stocks by doing that. But now I think we're in, in more of that Goldilocks uh, level where, you know, 5%, you know, can, 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 can businesses live with that? Can they adjust? It'll, yes, it'll eat into um, some of the, the, the profitability, but then some of that gets passed through the consumer. And then you also try to get to that, that Goldilocks level inflation as well. So it's all about finding that that, 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 that happy medium. And, I, and I, it feels like we're kind of close uh, right now. Um, can the market live with another rate hike or two, perhaps? But if we get much higher, I think then we're going to start getting to a situation where the cost is going to get high and the pass through to the consumer is going to be uh, more severe than it's been so far. So what I'm seeing, Gary, too, is, <clears throat> you know, you men mentioned this inverted yield curve. So, you know, this 5% that Bruce talks about uh, is is mostly at the very short end, right? My clients are raving about the fact that I can get them treasuries and bonds and CDs and things like that that are five, but they all want to, they want that highest rate you can get, which is really only one year. I'm trying to encourage my clients because you already said in the show, this isn't going to last me. And maybe we go out further on the curve, like two years, three years, five years. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, so right now, you're not getting as much of a yield as you mentioned on the two, three, five-year uh, area. In fact, you have to go all the way up to 10 years before you get back up to around 4%. You 
you know, I think for, for those that have short-term liquidity needs or, you know, are hesitant to put all of their money to work at a given time, they like to dollar cost average or space it out, taking advantage of the short end of the curve does make sense. But over the long run, it pays to own duration, right? And what that means is it pays to have more interest rate exposure, interest rate sensitivity at all points of the curve. So we always promote an active approach that balances having both short short end exposure and long end exposure. We call that a barbell strategy. And we employ that within our model. So we have significant short end exposure to short term trades. And then we have protection in the long end. And what that long term protection does, that hedges against the risk of an inflation of a recession. Because if you have a recession, that's when uh, you'll benefit on the long end of the curve. So we think it's important to have exposure across not just sitting on the short end of the curve. Because like you said, in six months, who knows where those, that yield is going to be. Now, another thing I might want to add in here is that, you know, we, we, get, we, ask, we often get asked, you know, why would I want to invest, you know, in the market at this level? Why would I not just want to sit and take what's being given to me in terms of 5% returns? We've done some analysis and, have, and, and, and can say that over the last 20-plus years, if you had invested $1,000, at the worst possible time of each year, you would still have roughly three times as much money that, than you would as if you just sat in a money market fund or own a short-term treasury. It's a really interesting analysis uh, that was actually completed by Goldman Sachs, and it just shows that you know market timing is impossible. Even investing at the worst possible time is better than sitting in cash. So I just wanted to kind of add that in there because we get this question a lot, right, in terms of what should I, should I be sitting in cash, should I be investing in the market? And the answer, of course, is to invest in a portfolio that aligns with your long-term objectives, tolerance, and other preferences. But I think it's a really, really important factor to consider from a long-term perspective. Here's our phone number, 651-461-9226. It also happens to be our text number, and uh, here's another text before we run out of time. What is the impact to the economy of this intense global warming? Yeah, uh, it's a great question, and I think there are going to be um, economic impacts for sure uh, that are going to literally impact every every sector, from obviously from from travel uh, and leisure and just in terms of the impact of, of, of the energy sector. I mean, we, we see clearly um, there, there's a significant issue that, that, that's happening. We've seen initiatives to, uh, you know, become more clean, more green, uh, and that's going to benefit certain companies uh, that, 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 that focus on that area. But I think it's going to impact every single area, uh, uh, really, uh, of all companies everywhere. Um, so I don't have a – I can't – can't sit here today and say, you know, it's going to impact, you know, the, the market by X percent. It's not that simple. There's going to be winners. There's going to be losers. I think we as a society need to uh, consider all these and have to smart invest smartly uh, in, in companies that have that broader social uh, perspective. Now, ESG investing, environmental, social, and governance is a, is a, is a part of a way of investing that it's supposed that aligns um, you know, investments with, 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 you know, environmental initiatives and goals and, and the perspectives of some, I think that's going to continue to be uh, uh, in focus. But, you know, on the flip side, there are those that actually take the other stance as well. And I'm not going to sit here and say which one is right or wrong today. That's not my, that's not my job. I, I certainly have my own views, but I think it's going to make its way into investing nonetheless. So, you know, we as investors want to think 
broadly about, you know, sustainability, whether it's, you know, corporate sustainability, whether it's environmental sustainability. Uh, sustainability is, is an important part of the diligence process when we, when we look at stocks, when we look at sectors, when we look at funds. Uh, so uh, I think it all factors into the, the, to, to the scenario that, that, the, that, the, that the text highlights is that we have a sustainability issue and we have to address that across all our investments. And we can do so by, you know, looking at individual companies that focus on that, or we can do so by, from a broader perspective, uh, in, that, in that ESG lens. Gary, when, whenever we talk to you, the time just goes too fast because I learn things. I know listeners are learning things. We're down to just a couple of minutes already. I had notes up to ask you questions about black swans, the war in Ukraine, and, and, we're, and we're not going to have time to get to any of that. Do a quick, if you would, a quick summary for listeners. What are the key takeaways? If they, if they remember nothing else from this show, what do you think are the one or two or three key takeaways that uh, listeners, investors need to know going forward from today? I, I think the key is that we're really at a paradox here in terms of, you know, the, 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 the negative forward-looking economic indicators that are, that are screaming uh, recession, yet at the same time we have a, a booming stock market that's very forward-looking focused on AI. We have to always remember that the economy and the market are two different beasts that don't always move in tandem. Yes, there are macroeconomic factors that work their way uh, into stock analysis, but we don't necessarily think that that's a great way to invest. We think a, a, a better way, a better perspective, right, forward-looking over the long run. We know that markets are efficient over the long run. We're going to have peaks and valleys, uh, and we're going to use those opportunities that make changes to our, our portfolio. But looking forward, we think that the overall economic landscape has improved. It's better than it was six months ago. We could be near the end of the Fed, right, Fed uh, hiking cycle, which is certainly a positive thing. We might be at a Goldilocks level of, of interest rates for both savers uh, and, and, and spenders. Uh, and that makes me look a little more positively on, on, on our outlook. There always is the possibility of a, of a black swan type of event, uh, and we can never discount that out. But that's why, that's why we monitor the markets as closely as we do. Gary, thank you so much for your time today. I know how busy you are. I, for one, learned a lot. And, uh, and, and Denny, I know the clock on the wall is telling us uh, we're about out of time. Yes, indeed. We hope you join us again next week. Keep in mind, you can ask your financial questions anytime, 24-7. Just call 888-6ADVICE. Again, 888-6ADVICE. You can always send emails to your money at wealthenhancement.com. Join us next week for more of your money.